feels like I've been in a, in a series forever. So this is part 10 and the end. I'm going to stop it right here. So I've been talking about faith till the end since May, not every Sunday, but because we've done some other things as well and I've been on vacation. But uh, today's the end. This is the 10th lesson on uh, just really how to walk by faith and try to make it more practical and helpful. I've, again, I could go another several weeks. I'm going to stop it right now. So uh, anyway, how many know you need to walk by faith? First John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The world, speaking of the systems and the things that happen on the outside of us and the, way, the pressures, the challenges from the outside that are creeping in, that the way to overcome that, he says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. How? And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Uh, Ephesians 6, Paul called faith a shield. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. First Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. That lets you know faith is not easy. It's a challenge to defy your feelings and thoughts and the circumstances around you and believe what God says. Faith is believing what God says in the middle of tremendous opposition. You go with what he said in his word about you, you come out better on the end. Yes or no? Then Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. See, God is looking for faith in us. He gives us faith. You read the word, it, it, it motivates and, and builds your faith. But he's looking for that faith so he can bless us. For he who comes to God must, number one, believe that he is. And then number two, believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Seek him. The last number of weeks I've covered eight things we need to know about faith. Number one, faith is a gift given to you by Jesus Ephesians 2, by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God. And secondly, faith can be increased by uh, meditation and practice in the Word. So we talked about that in great detail. All of this is online. My notes are available today. Normally, I don't get to all of them, but they're there. I encourage you to go back and look. And if you haven't heard this, go back and listen. Faith takes the place, number three, of what cannot be seen or felt until it appears. Faith's a gap stander. So you can smile when you're having trouble if you're walking by faith because you know the end result is God answers prayer and he does what he says. Yes or no? Number four, faith is never future. Faith is always present tense. Hope is future and faith takes hope. The hope that things will change, hope that things will be different and it brings it to the now and said, I believe God is moving in my life right now. We spent a whole time session looking at that. Faith cannot be separated from words. Number five, we spent two weeks on that. Words are a, a tremendously powerful force in your life. How many know that? If you understand the power of your words, Jesus said every idle word you speak uh, will be, you'll give an account on the day of judgment for that. So words are powerful. So go back and listen if you didn't hear that number. And then the, la uh, the last two times I've been talking about the heart because faith is of the heart. With the heart we believe. And, there's, uh, and so our heart has to be right with God for faith to work, right? So I'm really trying to bear the point home there. Number six, the faith, the foundation for faith is a heart relationship. We went into detail on that one week. And then uh, last week, unrepentant sin can hinder faith. You don't hear a lot about sin today. And you want to keep it out of your life. It's contraband. It's bad stuff. And you just want to keep it weeded out. So we talked about that in fair detail. Today, uh, the number, lastly, faith only works. Uh, in a forgiving heart. So I'm spending three lessons here on the heart because it's so important to keep your inner person right with God. How many hear me? So, so um, a forgiving heart is an absolute necessity for walking with God and 
and walking by faith. So let me say this. I'm going to try to be, I mean, if you're praying and you don't get answers, well, that didn't work out. He didn't do that. Well, check up on yourself. Don't think it's God. He's promised to answer prayer. Let you know every morning when I get up, there's certain, I mean, I, I just spout, I, I, the Lord knows his word, but I want to let him know I'm thinking about it. And I know what he said. So, you know, I, I, I quote to him because I need it. Matthew 21, 22, Mark eleven twenty four, John 15, 7, sometimes uh, Luke eleven nine 9, and 10, uh, John 15, 7, I said that, uh, uh, John 16, 23, 24, 1 John 3, 22 and 23, and 1 John 5, 14, all of which God promises to answer prayer and do what he said. Yes? So, and, and I do that because when I pray, I pray with expectation. I don't pray just to save my conscience. Some people say, well, Lord, I need to talk to you a little bit today. So they feel like they're right with him. No, no, I talk to him not because I want to be right with him. Jesus' blood made me right with him. I talk to him because I want him to do something. And sometimes part of that's just worshiping and thanking him for what he's already done. But see, if you're, if you're praying and you don't get answers, find out why. And one of them may be uh, a hindrance to prayer. Or you, you've lost the sense of the presence of God in your life. The Holy Spirit's not ministering to you the way he used to. Well, fine. One of the big things, check up on, do you have anything against anybody in your life? Here's what Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. Everybody Okay. Y'all can say, "Uh uh-huh, yes, that's right. You know, if you've been to church a lot, you can say, amen, whatever you want to do. Or you can just kind of, whatever. Mark 11, 25, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, this is Amplified New Testament, forgiving, forgive him, and I love this, let it drop. Everybody say, let it drop. Leave it, let it go. See, when you you dropped it, I'm not going to drop my Bible, but if I dropped it, you know, it's not with me anymore, right? So when you drop an issue, drop a problem, drop something somebody said, done, or didn't do, it's not with you anymore. That's the issue, right? If you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Leave it. Let it go. In order that your Father who's in heaven may also forgive you your own failings, shortcomings, and let them drop. But if you... well. But if you do not forgive, verse 26, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your failings and shortcomings. That's a big deal, would you say? Now, I'm going to read something in just a minute. But, you know, faith, I was thinking this morning, I'm a technical person. I love gadgets and gadgetry, you know. I just love working on stuff. I was working on radios and TVs. I, I took an electronics course in high school. I just love gadgets. I always love gadgets. I take things apart as a kid, put them back together. I just love it. So um, when, I think about, when I think about forgiveness, what came to my mind today was a thermostat on a car. Let me talk about a thermostat. You know, without that thermostat, your engine is not going to run. It will quit midstream. Did you hear me? So you got a hose running from the radiator on the front of your car out to the top of your engine block. And right there, there's a thing called a thermostat. Listen, that thermostat's closed till that engine heats up. But if something happens to that thermostat and it fails, it won't open up. That thermostat's a regulator. It regulates the temperature of the water in your engine so that the combustion doesn't overheat your engine, Right? If anything happens to that thermostat, your engine's toast. In fact, one of my children, first car I bought that child, (laughs) they messed up their engine, it overheated, and it just tore it up. 
It burned it up, burnt the engine up. That thermostat is forgiveness. If you don't forgive, it keeps it closed. That thermostat's closed. It doesn't let the water into the engine block to cool it down. That thermostat's like your relationship with Jesus. Forgiveness keeps it open, keeps the water of the Spirit flow, keeps the relationship between you and Jesus good and fluid. You get it? But if you walk in unforgiveness, you stop that thermostat up and nothing happens. And you die on the vine. Now that's where a lot of people are today. There's a lot of offense in America today. Would you agree with that? Man, COVID's opened up a can of something. Huh? People are at odds. They're indifferent. They're angry. They're frustrated. in are circumstance, whatever. You got to forgive and let things go. How many hear me? Some families, you know, you got the, what is it? The McCoys and who's the other family? Hatfields. Man, they are always at odds. I was in a Congo years ago, the Hutus and Tutsis, they've been fighting for generations, and they broke out in fighting while I was there. And I had a UN man come say, y'all ought not be here. I said, why not? We can't take care of you. Well, I said, we said, said, well, the Lord will have to take care of us then. I mean, they literally started fighting while we were there, and I heard the AK-47s and the and the uh, 50 caliber guns going off. I heard the tanks in the streets. People died while I was there. Scared the bejeebies out of me. The truth is, you know, so, so people have been fighting and at odds for a long time. But us, we got to let it go. Maybe it's been infighting in your family. Maybe mama, daddy, cousins, uncles, nieces, nephews, grandma, grandpa. You got to let it go. Maybe it's a struggle in your own home with your marriage, with your children. Maybe they've made decisions you just aggravated about. Maybe it's on your job. People are angst. We don't have the option to not forgive. Right? So let me just read this. You've heard this. This is New Living Translation, Matthew 8. And you can't tell a better story than Jesus told. And Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive someone who sins against me seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. That's 490 times, and that's not the end result. Well, that's 490 a time. They did that. I ain't forgiven anymore. No, the idea was over and over. That might be in one day. Yeah. Hmm. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his counts, accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors who brought in, uh, brought in who, um, was brought in who owed him a millions, millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered he be sold along with his wife, children, everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, begged him, please be patient with me. I'll pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity with, for him, released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed, owed him a few thousand dollars, grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it. I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset, rightly so, right? Uh, They went to the king, told him everything that had happened. The king called in for the man uh, he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt, millions of dollars, remember? Yeah. Um, Because you pleaded with me, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you. Wow. 
if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's strong, isn't it? Is hell worth unforgiveness? Huh? Is hell worth getting to heaven and say, depart from God? Jesus said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you person that failed to forgive. No, it ain't. He said, but you don't know what somebody's done. Listen, I've been in ministry since 1981. Um, some of the things I heard would make hair grow on my head. I've had times people, I mean, somebody said something, I said, <clears throat> and I was thinking, I didn't say it, I almost said, that's really hard to believe that happened to you. But they did. And they're weeping and crying. I gave them Kleenex after Kleenex. I said, man, can't imagine the hard things that happen to people. I don't care hard it, how hard it is and how bad somebody treats you. Jesus said, forgive them. There is no debt greater than we owed God because of our sin. Culture doesn't think about sin today. You vacate this body, the first thing you're going to think about is being right or wrong with God. Because it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that judgment, the good news is Jesus takes our sin judgment for us. And when we die, there is no judgment of sin because Jesus judged our sin. Is that good news? But if you die without Jesus, there is a judgment. Now, there's a reward seat of Christ that believers will stand before and will be rewarded for what we do after we're saved and we'll accrue, you know, precious jewels to throw at God's feet when we see his throne, perhaps gold, silver, precious stones. Or if we haven't done life right, it'll just be wood, hay, and straw. And when we see Jesus and his blazing eyes look at us, that's all consumed. But don't you want to have a few, a few things to lay at his feet when you see him? So we got to forgive. That's the, you know, some families find it easier to forgive than other families because it's the nature of that family to be loving, caring, and forgiving. So while, when I said that, you thought about you. So what about your family? Is the nature of the family you were raised in, is it to easily forgive and let go? Or is the nature of your family to hold on just till the very last second and let it go? Huh? Do you hold grudges or you let it go? See, there's natures in a family. Would you agree? So if you came from a family that holds on to offenses, you've got to relearn life in that area. And you've got to go back and say, Lord, my family hasn't found it easy to forgive. We bring things up constantly about the past, what we didn't do, what we did do. I've got I to change that. Help me change it. How many hear me? So when I'm talking, you're thinking, right? What's your family? What, what is it for you? Do you find it easy to forgive? Do you find it easy, excuse me, easy to let things go? Some of that has to do with your personality. We talked about personality types on Friday morning at our married couple's getaway. And, um, you know, um, uh, sometimes personality type makes you a person that's quite introspective. And, and you think to the nth degree about everything. You cross every I and dat, dot every T three times. And if you're that kind of person, you may have a tendency to hold on to things. You've got to be willing to let it go regardless of your personality type. How many hear me? Yeah, so we've got to choose to forgive the way God forgives. Let's listen to these scriptures, and I'll, I'll make this real practical. Ephesians 4.32, become useful, helpful, kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted. Then the next part, forgiving one another. This is amplified readily and freely. As, how? As God in Christ forgave you. We're going to come back to that in a minute. How do we forgive others? The same way God forgives us in Christ, 
we are to forgive others. So that gives you a clear pattern on how to forgive. I know we'll make it as practical as I can before we leave. Now, this is a lesson I've taught this before. It takes me four lessons to teach this. I'm trying to accumulate it all into one today. So hit the high spots. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And he says it again in a different way. But remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Again, we forgive others the way God in Christ forgives our sin. And we'll talk about that in a second here. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. Amplified New Testament again. For love covers a multitude of sin, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. How easy do you find it to forgive and disregard somebody that's bloviating about you? Go look up that word. <laughs> it's just a lot of hot air and it's aggravating and mean. How often, do, how easy is, is it for you to forgive and disregard? In Proverbs ten twelve, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers and overwhelms all transgressions, forgives and overlooks others' faults. Now see, there'll never be a time in life that I'm not required to forgive someone else, right? So think about it like this. Imperfections and flaws are part of human behavior. Have you found, found that to be true? Huh? And see, we often make wrong choices. We often do life wrong. And see, you, you don't, do you always make right choices? Do you sometimes do the wrong thing? Well, since you make wrong choices and you and I do the wrong things at times, it behooves us then when somebody does something wrong towards us, as harsh and aggravating as that may be, we've got to forgive them because we expect others to forgive us, do we not? I mean, we expect God to forgive us when we ask him, when we confess our sin, right? Then what right do we have to hold on to something? That's the question, right? So, so see, here's the bottom line. If I fail to forgive, that unforgiveness, is this, I, I could take a long time, but I'm trying to shorten it up. It, it, it can become a bitter root and mar your whole personality. And y'all, we're full of people with bitter roots today. There's two kinds of bitter roots, and I get this from Hebrews 12, 15. New Living Translation says this. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Wait, wait, wait. Do you, is the inference there, is, is, is it that you could fail to receive the grace of God? What does unforgiveness do? It, it, it puts us in a position that we're not, grace, God's grace is not available to us because we've withheld what we should freely give another human being. That's tough, that's tough stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So, again, look after each other so that no one of, uh, none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out so that no, now I like the way he says it, poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many. So, first thing that happens, a poisonous root of bitterness grows up. What is that? Well, something happens. You know, it's, it's, it's eh, with forgiveness, you've got to forgive everybody. The people we have to forgive the most are the pe- people we're closest to. Do you agree with that? That means your, your, your spouse, means your children, your mom, your dad, your brothers, sisters, people in your office that work with you, co-workers. Those are the ones that have the tendency to hurt you the worst. Is it true? Because they know you. You're walking down the street, some... Uh, was going to use an adjective I won't I started to say jack leg but that's not nice 
just walks past you. You look at the person walking with you, that person, cuckoo. That person, crazy, right? But if somebody at home said the same thing, somebody you know, somebody in the office, your boss, your co-worker, your spouse, child, friend, that hurts, right? So who do we have to give, forgive the most people closest to us? So he talks about, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. See, it troubles you. What does that mean if you think about it? It affects your attitude, your demeanor. It affects your mentality. It affects the aura of your day. Everything was great till they said that. Right? Yeah. So that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. First of all, it troubles you. And then ends up corrupting many. See, to start with, one person does one thing. You grab it instead of doing what Jesus said and letting it go. You hold on to it. And that's when it becomes poisonous. And to begin with, it's just you. Did you know when you fail to forgive someone, they might just be happy, go lucky. Hey, how you doing? And you're looking like, shut up. They don't know you held on to a couple of words they said, or maybe a sentence or a phrase, right? But you do. See, it doesn't affect, and they just happy, having fun, and you just thinking, you are a jack lady. <laughs> you know. You a rascal. And see, it's not affecting them, it's affecting you. But then the end result, he says, corrupting many. What I fail to forgive in one person can, can, can set a, a, a stage to where every person like that becomes guilty. So you've had a problem with your first marriage. That woman did me wrong. You can't trust no women. Or that man done me wrong. You two times me. You can't trust a man. Or that boss did me wrong. You can't trust a person with authority. You can trust no authority. And so they go from job to job. They go from marriage to marriage. You hear me? Well, there's a constant disgruntledness about that person. Now, friends, that's called a bitter root. Right? So, so how do you know if there's a bitter root? If you have an exaggerated response to a given thing. You ever been talking to somebody and suddenly they just pop you? And you're thinking, why did they have that response? I just said this, this, this. They went boom, boom, boom. It could be a bitter root. If you find yourself flying off the handle, you know what I mean by these colloquialisms? If you find yourself saying things that you didn't plan to say in a heated way in a conversation with someone at, at the job or your spouse or your child or your friend, and it just blew out of you and you couldn't believe it yourself hard, you may have a bit of root to deal with. You hear me? Exaggerated responses. Uh, two things, uh, bit, and I mentioned this in our marriage encounter, um, bitter root strongholds, that's where that thing grabs a hold of you. And you think about, you don't know it, but it's, it's, it's working underneath the surface all the time. And it's affecting your attitude and responses to other people, Right? So, so, so a bitter root stronghold produces, second thing, bitter root expectations. One person did that, and you expect other people like that to do that to you. 
It can sour your personality. Is that true? Got to let it go. Uh, an example here, and I've shared this before, but, you know, this one was really strong, and it surprised me that it was in my life. It's, uh, you know, I was in Tulsa. I was on staff at a church. I was actually, I did all the personal ministry for the pastor. That means all uh, marriage counseling, um, pre-marriage, and then emergency crisis stuff. All of it came to my office, and I was, my Lord, I, was, I ate people's problems all day long. And that pastor, he's just enjoying life. Man, dude, wow. But I, first, when I first got that position, I found myself really short uh, with my secretary and other people on staff. And then, see, I was, I was just 20, you know, I'm in my early 20s. I just started life. And I found myself short not only there on my job, but then in anywhere, anywhere someone uh, had to do something at a certain time. I found myself calling them several times. You're going to be there, right? You're going to do that, right? I don't care if it's the bank doing something with a loan. You're going to do that, right? You're going to be there at 10, right? You said so, right? I called him several times. My secretary, I mean, I'd like to drove her nuts. And I know they're thinking, that, that boy right there, they, they, they something not quite gelled with him. And I looked at it one day and I noticed the response and here's what happened. You know what I did? When I was a little boy, it's, this happened at least a half a dozen times, maybe more. My best friend, we would meet, at, we'd ride our bicycles on Sunday afternoon. To, you know, we'll meet me on Sunday at, at church. Hey, let's go bike riding. Because you could bike ride in the community when I was little. You can't hardly do it now. So I lived in a small community. So we'd meet me at the store by the, by the railroad tracks, 3 o'clock. And I said, I'll meet you there good. Well, I was there at quarter till 3. He wasn't. He wasn't there at 3 o'clock. He wasn't there at 10 after. He wasn't there at 3.30. I finally said, give up on him. He didn't do it one time. He did it over and over again. That became a bitter root in me. I know it sounds penny ante, but you know, it was a big deal. If you're calling somebody that you scheduled an appointment with or for, and you're supposed to be, and you're constantly calling, dude, you've got a problem. And I got to thinking, why am I doing that? And it's because of that guy that failed to show up, and I held an offense against him. Now, that's, that's you know, small potatoes, so to speak. But you got bigger issues in life, bigger fish to fry than that, right? So the big things in life, you hold a fence, man, you got some expectations to deal with. So if you find someone constantly irritated, constantly irritable, if that's you towards, you know, listen, I've talked to so many married couples, and, and I can just, you know, sometimes I just, uh, I'm giving myself away now, but Sometimes I just sit there, how you doing? We just talk. I talk about current events, this and that. I want to see how they interact. And sometimes we're just talking about simple stuff. Immediately I see the irritation in one person. And you know what I'm thinking? If we investigate that one, there's a, there's a fish on the hook right there. There's a bitter root we got to uproot right there. I don't say it start with, but I know we got something to deal with right there. And they think they're completely in the right. Right? So you got to deal with How do you deal with this? So uh, one last thing about this. I'm not going to share it. You'll have to, come, have to come back another time. Um, so let me talk about how to forgive. So if, you, if you've got exaggerated responses to people or, or you've got some, got some irritation in your life, you know you need to forgive someone. Now let me just tell you, forgiveness is uh, not easy. Would you agree with that? And I've, in my life, I have to constantly choose to forgive. Now, I never have to forgive y'all because y'all are perfect. 
<clears throat> but see, you've got to constantly forgive me because I'm a mess. I'm joking. See, we forgive the way Jesus forgives us. What does he do? Three, here's what you need to know. Take away from this message three things. When you forgive, you must do three things to know that you have forgiven. Number one, we forgive the way God in Christ forgave us. So how does God forgive us? Number one, he says, I won't bring it up to you again when I forgive you. Because Hebrews 10, 17 says, there's sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Does that mean he forgets it? Huh? Yeah, as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed. Our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, 25, I even I am he who blots out your transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember your sins. So if you've got thoughts coming in your mind, remembering you, reminding you of where, where you've been, what you've done, what, how, long, how many times you did it, and you ask God to forgive you, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's the unholy devil. Or your own thinking or other people, right? For when God forgives us, he says, I won't bring it up to you again. Secondly, he won't bring it up to others. He won't tell them what you did. So I, you've heard me tell this story. I think recently a prophet of God was in the, in, in the town where I, my first Bible school was when we went to see him. And all of us Bible school boys were constantly repenting, oh God, oh God, forgive me for this, forgive me for this. Because we go into the prophet's meeting and the prophet knows things about you. And we figure since God forgets sins that are confessed, we confess on everything we think of. Oh, God. So when we get there, there's not, not anything bad he's going to say to us, right? Yeah. Because, see, God doesn't bring it up to others. That's the issue. Number three, God says, I will not think of it again. I won't even think of what you did. That's really cool, isn't it? you got to think through on this because we're so sin conscious often about ourselves and we feel so unworthy. That honestly took me a period of time to realize that when God forgave me, he completely forgot what I did. I've told you this story, but I had started a church in a small town in South Carolina, and I forgot, I honestly can't remember what I said, but I said something, it's shoe in, uh, open mouth, insert foot, big time, big 13 shoe too, big one. And I felt so humiliated about what I publicly said that I didn't want to show my face to this little church, fledgling church I just started. And I got before God, I said, oh, God, oh, God, how could I be so dumb and so stupid? And then, I mean, the next day, I repented that day, you know. And, and then, and then uh, you know, the next week, I, I was praying one day, I said, oh, God, I'm so stupid, I'm so dumb. Why did I ever say that, dude? And I heard him say, what you talking about? I said, well, Sunday week ago. <laughs> that was awful of me. I'm a young man. I said that in front of everybody. He said, Mitch, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I heard, what you talking about? What you talking about? I said, well, you don't remember? He said, huh? And he reminded me, their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Isn't that good? And then he reminded me, you know, when uh, Israel were looking for a king, Samuel's, all the sons of Jesse coming before Samuel because it's one of the sons of Jesse. And then I think it's Samuel said, look not on his height nor on his appearance, for God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. And God said to me, Mitch, you just got to understand when something happens and you do something, I look at your heart. 
You confess that to me. I don't remember. So see, God forgets what we do. So, so when we forgive, first thing is, first thing is we're going to imitate God and forgive as God in Christ forgave us. Number one, you don't bring it up to that person again. So you're having a fight with your spouse. We know what you did last month. You know, you did that three years ago. You ain't you still doing it. What's wrong with you? Dude, you got a problem. Or sis, you got a problem. Right? Love never reminds a person. Forgiveness never reminds the offending party of what they did. And if I'm constantly bringing it up, I haven't yet forgiven. Right or wrong? Man, that's a big deal, isn't it? You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 amplified one of the attributes of the love of God. Love doesn't take account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. So if I look at somebody and I got a list of what they said, a list of what they did, a list of what they didn't do, shoulda, coulda, woulda done, I haven't forgiven them yet. Right? Love doesn't keep lists. I never forget. Well, you know, you haven't forgiven. You'll never forgive them. To forgive, you got to be willing to let it go. How many hear me? So to do that, you're saying, I won't bring up the issue to you again. Don't do it. So, so what do you do? Take it to God. Say, Lord, they did such and such. When they did such and such, it made me feel this. And you, and you say, Lord, I lay it at your feet. That person said that. And I think they really meant it. But you know what? They owe me nothing. I lay it at your feet. I forgive them fully and completely the way you forgave me. I've said some pretty nasty things myself. So I forgive them right now. And you forgave me, I forgive them. I lay it down. When you see them again, bite that tongue. Don't bring it up. Secondly, you don't tell, you know what so-and-so said the other day? Let me t- you know what my spouse said? You know what they did? You know what they had the gall to do? They've done this 15,000 times since we've been married the last 30 years. You haven't forgiven yet. Right? I won't bring it up to others. I won't bring it up to you when I forgive. I won't bring it up to others. The third thing's the hardest challenge I have that we have. I won't think of it anymore. Because the moment you go before God and forgive the person, I mean, it could be five minutes later, you see the person and your mind says, remember what, remember what they just did? An insult to injury that if you did it 25 times in the last week, forgive I feel the rub. Somebody's not liking what I'm saying here. Whoa, whoa. You know why? Forgiving someone doesn't mean what they did was right. Oh, let me go here. Uh, Forgiveness doesn't mean, listen to this. Forgiveness doesn't mean restitution of relationship. Forgiving someone who said or did something doesn't mean the relationship will go the way it should go. Until they make a choice. Forgiveness releases it from you. It doesn't mean the other person is not responsible to change. Forgiveness takes the chain off you. You get it? So there's one big deal. People don't forgive because they think, well, that person hasn't felt guilty about it. They keep doing it. Jesus didn't say, well, forgive them if they know they did wrong. He just said, forgive them. Let it go. Let it drop. Right? You say, well, that's not fair. Well, you take that up with the Lord. I don't know what to say about that one. Maybe it's not fair that God forgave all your mess. And you know, every once in a while, you dip down in there and do it again. 
And you expect him to go and forgive you again. Are you going to treat somebody else that way? Well, you did it 15 times. I ain't going to forgive you the 16th. What if God did that to you? Woo-wee. Right? So the third one is I will think of it no more. How, how do you do that? The way I do that is simple. I pray for them. I pray for the person. I put teeth on my prayer. Now, I've memorized, and I'd encourage you to go to Ephesians 1, 17 through, what, 23, the end of the chapter, that the God, if it's a Christian, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give you the spirit of wisdom. Of, uh, is that it? Yeah, wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of your calling and what the riches of the glory of your inheritance of, in him as a believer. And I just go on through and just pray that way. I pray Colossians 1, 9 through 12, that you, they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that they would walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's King James Version. Then, then I pray Ephesians 3, uh, 14, that they would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. He'd be rooted in, they'd be rooted and grounded in love and be able to comprehend with all saints what is the length and breadth and depth and height. And they would come to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Now, why do I know all of Scripture? Because I've had to pray them over people. <laughs> so what you do? See, I'm a pastor. I, I know a lot of believers. And sometimes they rascals. And I've got to forgive them, right? How do I do it? I pray those prayers. Okay. Well, Pastor, what do you do if they don't know the Lord? I pray for them to come to Jesus. Every time I think about what they did, say, Lord, I pray for that person they don't know the Lord. I pray <coughs> that the hound of heaven would draw, dog their tracks. And he'd, he'd grab their scent and follow them everywhere they go. They have a desire for Jesus every day. They just send labors across their path in Jesus' name. Every time. Every time. You mean every time you think about them? What if you think about them 50 times a day? They got a lot of praying being done for them then. Because here's the skinny. If you pray for a person instead of think about what they did, it changes your emotions towards them. You say, I just feel so bad. I'm just so aggravated with that person. Start praying for them. You start praying for them. Thoughts and emotions go hand in hand. Oh, I feel this one in the room too. Here's a spouse. You aggravated at your husband. I don't like you. I don't even want to cook for you. I don't want to do, I don't, I don't want to clean your house. I don't want to pick up your underwear on the floor. I don't want to, I don't want to wash your clothes. I don't want to do nothing for you. Shut up. I'm exaggerating. But. If you don't have feelings, goody good feelings for your spouse, you are holding on to wrong thinking about your spouse. 100%. You can't have good feelings towards someone holding on to something and remembering what they did. Is that true? So you practice this with the person you're married to. And forgive them and love them. And just pray for them. Pray Ephesians 1. Pray, pray Colossians 1. Pray Ephesians 3. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. It's Ephesians 3, 14 through 20. Ephesians 1, you know, 17 through the end of the chapter. Just pray it. They know the Lord. If they don't know the Lord, pray that they come to Jesus. Right? Because if you change your thinking about something, you'd eventually change your feelings. Is that true? Anyway, I think I've said enough. Y'all get something out of this?
Now, now we've, we've got to put it into practice. I also want to say this. You know, a lot of people struggle with bitter roots in various ways, and uh, here's a big one. And uh, I think about this a lot. Uh, when, when I first came to the Lord, first uh, few, three years, uh, the pastor of the church, and there was also a Bible, Bible college there, this guy went south and nobody knew it. I picked it up and I've told you the story before, if you've been here any length of time. I picked it up in prayer. There's something wrong with this man. Nobody knew what it was. I picked it up and confronted him. He chewed on me. I went, I did the wrong thing. See, I, I didn't understand that you don't confront straight on sometimes. Sometimes things take time to fester. I didn't get, I was just young because I thought he was honest up front kind of guy. I got in his office. He chewed on me. He told Susan. They told Susan, Mitch is unstable. He'll be on his road to hell, road to hell in five years. You don't want to marry him. Wouldn't, wouldn't do her wedding ceremony. Wouldn't let us get married. That hurts. Huh? I had to forgive this guy because, I mean, it, it walloped me hard. Mentally, I was a basket case for a couple of several, a period of time. Because my pastor told me I'm practicing witchcraft. Yeah. If you confront a leader and he becomes combative, something's wrong, friends. How many hear me? If you confront a true person that has a real heart for God and you don't like something they're doing, and you can do that to me, that's fine. I'll say, talk to me. Let me hear you. I'll shut my mouth. Because if you've got something to hide and if and you got to defend yourself, something's wrong, right? I had to forgive this guy. And I just went through what I just said. I had to make a choice. I never told anybody what he said. Uh, you know, Susan and I, she was my fiance. I told her, a trusted friend, and that's it. Nobody else. My mother knew. She prayed for me. And over, But I told nobody at the school, nobody at the church, nobody knew. And I practiced forgiving him. Here's what I know in ministry. We've got a lot of people in here. You come from all kinds of churches. I was praying this morning. I had a complete sense that there'll be people in the services today and you've been hurt either by the senior pastor or his staff team somewhere. You have a hard time trusting yourself in church life. And hence, you'll go from church to church. Right? Tell me it ain't so. You know that happens, right? So we're closing the service. Everybody good? All right, I am that man. Or maybe it's a woman on staff, and they did you wrong. Will you forgive me? Will you choose to drop it and let it go? All right, I'm that person that said that thing to you or withheld from you. I was wrong. Forgive me. Will you do it? Will you let it drop? Lord, I'll become that de facto person. Said that thing at the job, spouse. Will you let it go? So it unhooks its tentacles from you. See, I could go another 30 minutes, but I got to quit. Demon spirits follow families generational sins from the fathers and mothers and grandfathers, grandmothers, great, 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 great on up. And they hold on to pain, loss, hurt. 
unforgiveness. Unforgiveness in the spirit realm is like a tentacle filtering off your life. Demon spirits from, six, from successive generations in your past, they see unforgiveness in you, say, ooh, there's a person, let's go grab them. They grab a hold of that tentacle. Right? And to let that go, so you have obsessions, compulsions towards anger, neglect, uh, self-centeredness. See, sometimes, yeah, the flesh is that way, but then demon spirits you can't see can grab a hold of that, and you can't hardly control yourself. I've seen people out of control. Have you? Sometimes it's the flesh, and other times there's something uh, exacerbating, making it bigger. It's demon spirit. How do you deal with that? Let go of the pain, the loss, the unforgiveness. Get it?